I'm Samantha Bove, and this is She's Too Much. This show is for the woman who's been told that she dreams too much, talks too much, cares too much, thinks too much, feels too much, needs too much. And I say it's about damn time that we are even more. Because that thing you think makes you too much is the exact thing the world needs more of. When I think about you and all the women in my life, you really are like the most happy, fulfilled, Mm. and also like widely respected person in my life. And you fought for it. (sighs) You really did. Like it was intentionally crafted and surrendered and you were patient, but you also like really fought for it. And I just respect you so much for the way that you fight for your happiness. And it's just amazing. So I love you. maybe we can Thank kick you. it off there. I want, so sweet. <laughs> I want to bring it back to the burn it down era. So can you bring people briefly into a few years ago where you were when you walked away from the marriage and where you landed in Austin? Oh, the burn it down era. That was an era, wasn't it? So to the point where I got to Austin, let's see. Mm. It's always fun to tell this story in different ways. And like, what way is going to resonate today? I think the point that I want to pick up on is when it was the night that I first arrived to Austin. So my soon-to-be ex-husband and I were living in an RV had decided to sell everything that we knew. It was like my soul knew that transformation was coming. So they said, let's purge all of your belongings, all of your businesses, all of your community so that you have a clean slate, mama. And now that I'm the queen of transformation, I can see that there's this desire to shed every time this happens. This isn't just a one-time thing. I can see the, the desire to make energetic and physical space every time. So I was doing that without even realizing it. And I'll never forget the first night uh, we decided to make it to Austin. The The deal was he was going to drive me there. And the magic and synchronicities that unfolded, I could tell an entire podcast about just of the mountains that had to move for me to even arrive to Austin. At the time, we were living in this van and I wanted this spot at Barton Springs trailer park or whatever it's called. I think it's called Pecan Grove um, RV Park. And this is a famous park in Austin. Matthew McConaughey lived there at one point. And it's the kind of RV park where there are no empty spaces. And we were on the way there. I told Chris that I wanted to leave the marriage and I wanted to go know who I was without him. I was very clear on that. I decided it on my 30th birthday. And one thing you will learn about me, listener, is that I figure out a way to get what I want. That one of my mantras was, I always get what I want. (laughs) To some people, that may seem conceited, but it is just so true for me. And so I called the RV park on the way there, knowing damn well that they have a 
multi-year wait list. There was no chance I was getting into this RV park, but I don't usually take no for an answer. And I knew that Austin was going to be the home of my rebirth. And I called and I think I called every day. And I've noticed this pattern in myself that when I want something, I'm willing to make moves to get after it. And sometimes there is a surrender of it like beautifully falling in my lap. But many times I think we miss this step, which is that we must also take a step forward towards what we desire. This is the dance. This is the mm, co-leading with the universe. And so I called every day. And then one day I got someone on the phone and she said, we just had someone cancel the spot. Do you want it? I said, yep. And so I think I was already en route to Austin. Like I did not have a place to park my van. And we get there. And I remember I had so many reasons to be sad in that moment. I was ending a 10-year relationship in marriage. I had just left my home of 12 years in Gainesville, Florida. All of my community had no idea what was next. And I just remember smiling looking at the city skyline and the night sky twinkling and thinking, this is where it all changes for me. Like, this is it. I'm making this, drawing this line in the sand. Past self stays on this side. New self emerges. And I remember when he left because he decided to drive me there and just get me set up and then leave. And the moment he left the RV, instead of being sad, I felt this huge wave of relief. Again, it was energetic space, baby, like making room for what wanted to actually come through. And what unfolded after that was total surrender and alchemizing challenge after challenge after challenge into opportunity. Because again, if I take on the belief that I always get what I want, the obstacle doesn't matter. That's just a new way for me to arrive at the same destination. And you can you know, be damn sure that I'm going to learn a lesson along the way. And I think that's what I've done so well is I alchemize challenges into opportunities and I take and make lessons from them. And then I share them with the world because I love creating waves and making impact and serving the collective. And so let me make my total blunder and sad moment into something that can serve because that gives me life and purpose. And I've had so many of those moments from being brought to my knees with grief because, you know, spoiler alert, I'll tell you, it didn't stay sunshine and rainbows after I <laughs> left. It got hard and it got dark. And it wasn't to say that it was four years of that, but there were big chapters of darkness and struggle from COVID, an extreme case of COVID to getting black mold, to being given a handsome amount of debt, many things that would have wrecked most people and collapsed. And I just didn't give myself a plan B. It was, this is the only way forward. And plan B was move home with your parents. And I was like, okay, if that's my worst case scenario, I'll figure this out. Like We're going to be good no matter what. And I just kept moving forward. One of the things that you've taught me the most is how to hold myself. And it's something that I repeat to myself a lot. Like, I can hold you in this. Mm. I got you in this. And I realized I never really had to do that until my dad passed because I always felt like energetically he was still holding me even when he was like so sick and didn't on days know who I was. I was like, well, at least he's here and like I have this protection in some sort of way. And 
then especially after the breakup too, just those nights of deep loneliness at the time you were doing intimacy coaching and sex coaching and relationship coaching. And you were very open about what those nights looked like. Like you Mm -hmm. really brought people in because you're such a magnificent writer and storyteller. And so when I've dealt with those nights of like crippling loneliness after I left my engagement, I think about you and Mm -hmm. I think like Bryn held herself in this. I can hold myself in this. So can you bring (laughs) people into those moments a little bit of like that deep loneliness where you feel like you're going to die and nobody's coming to save you? And like, what did that look like for you? Well, it's funny that I don't know why this analogy is popping up, but it makes me think of when I was at a theme park and I'm in line for the big scary roller coaster and there's this like cute little kid, a couple of people in front of me in line. And I would always use that kid as the reference point of like, okay, this little sucker can do this. So can I <laughs> and like use me as your kid on the roller coaster. If Bryn can do this, truly, there's no reason why you can't. I am no different than any one of you. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things we can do on this planet is to realize the oneness and the string that connects us all together. We are human. We are all the same. We are made from the same things. And if one person can do it, so can you. And so I love being that point of reference for people. And there were nights where I thought the loneliness would kill me. It hurt so I it almost brings tears to my eyes because it was so visceral. It felt like death. It felt so utterly painful to though it always gets the worst at night when the world starts to shut down, the laptop goes down, the distractions go away. It's not as easy to reach people and to text and to just jump on a quick phone call. Yes, you could distract yourself with Netflix, but I turned towards the pain a lot. I really did Uh, because I knew, I knew there was a part of me that understood until I faced this depth of loneliness, I would never have the kind of connection I ever wanted because leaning onto someone without knowing the depths of your own soul is codependency. And for me, I knew it's like, I want earth shattering love next go around and I'm not willing to settle for anything less. And it was like, I put myself through boot camp of like, okay, this is what your soul's lesson is presenting you right now. Can you be with that? And it was usually the thing I was the most terrified of, which is when a couple years ago, I decided to do what I called a man cleanse where I did 90 days of no male energy, no dating, no DMing, no texting, no hinge. And for many people, that may sound like nothing, but to a serial monogamous that was when a relationship one after the other since the time I started dating, it was so painful uh, because the, the belief was if I'm not actively searching for him, he will not find me. And then I was gifted the complete and total opposite, which is what life does. I, I love playing in the extremes. It's like, okay, if I love living on the one end of the spectrum, let me go see what's on the other side, just so that I have a reference point. And so I went from constantly dating to no dating. And I wanted to see what life would present me. And what it was, was a lesson of total surrender and receiving the types of stuff that as soon as I quit that masculine energy and I decided to be with the depths of my loneliness, I would say it was really fucking painful for like three weeks. 
three weeks, I cried a lot, felt really uncomfortable, sweaty, wanted to puke, like literally felt like I was detoxing my body from that attention and that validation. And then at around like the four week mark, I was like, ah, okay, I'm here. And you know what? Now I have all this space, the theme of this conversation so far, space to do things that I didn't have space for, whether I realized it or not, how much mental energy was going towards men and the pursuit of men. And and so it was so beautiful what started to happen. I went to get my nails done and the owner of the salon paid for my pedicure. I was like, that never happens. Okay, I receive. Or I was sitting at a coffee shop and a man caught my eye and he came over and he gave me his phone number. And I was like, that's never happened before. And it was like life kept showing me, hey, that belief you had, it's not true. Let us show you the opposite. And I finished that detox high on life, full of creativity, so proud of myself. I slipped a couple of times, but I didn't make it the end of the world. And then I think it was two to three months later, I met my person. And for that, I will always be so grateful to the past version of myself that knew this is exactly what I need to expand and evolve. And I think we all do. I think if we get quiet, which that loneliness really provides the opportunity for, if you get quiet and just listen to the wisdom that your soul so deeply wants to deliver, it will always tell you the next step to take. So I want to unpack the codependency piece Mm. that you talked about. So Mm -hmm. when I turn off Netflix and I sit with my feelings of loneliness, one of my motivators is knowing that if I don't see myself and am comfortable with all of the emotions that are in me, I'm going to bring that to my next relationship. And I am likely going to expect them to tend rather than me tend. And he can also tend, of course. So tell me, like, break that down for me a little bit. Like, so if you are consistent, how would that manifest in a relationship if you don't know how to hold yourself by yourself first? One of my mentors used to use the analogy of a crying baby and how when you don't know how to mother yourself, you want to hand the screaming baby to anyone that will take it. And I think that that's what codependency looks like is I have a screaming baby, aka your insides. I don't know what to do with it. You fix it. And for me, that looked like anything from, I remember even getting into a fight with Chris at the gym because we went to go work out and I refused to write a workout for myself. I was like, I don't want to do this. I need you to do it for me. He's like, we own a gym. You can write your own workout because he wanted to go do his thing. And I got so mad because I needed him. Like it felt like this little monster inside of me that was like, give me the workout because I just could not even create the spaciousness to consider maybe I do know how to take care of myself. Maybe I do know how to write that workout. It also looked like financial collapse. Anytime he would try to present finances to me, that could be our our just living situation, our business, I would have breakdowns. I would cry. I would get angry, resentful. I would shut him out. I could not hold our finances at all. And boy, did that bite me in the ass when we ended up divorcing. There was there was a lot to clean up there. And I'm still cleaning up 
that version of me that could not hold financial responsibility. And that is why you and I have rich bitch meetings once a week so that I can stay accountable to my financial situation. It also looked like just being so unable to stand up for my needs. I was needless and wantless in that relationship. It was Chris's desires were king. And I don't blame him for that. I've done so much healing around that. I really see how I was an equal contributor to this synergy of needing to be taken care of him getting validation from taking care of me. I owned my part. And so I think there, you know, it can present differently to most people, but it really boils down to lack of personal responsibility, lack of personal responsibility in your finances, your emotions, your ability to just get stuff done. And it's not to say that, like you said earlier, that your partner can't support you. But if you're looking at a part of your life and the truth is, I don't know how to do this. I can't do this for myself. I encourage you to explore that part. Like, what would that look like? I was talking to one of my friends who her and her partner are incredibly wealthy and she had delegated all of the the taxes to him to take care of. And a couple years ago, she decided that was a bad idea. She's like, I need to know how to do this. And she bought this big old book and hired someone to teach her because she just felt like I there. even if he still takes that responsibility, I want to have that contextual understanding of what this looks like. And I actually want to speak to something on in the same thread, but you spoke to this on your Instagram story and it feels so true and valid is that there is this really dark shadowy side that comes out when you are alone for the first time and you're facing your demons and the pain of, will I be this alone forever? And then there's this incredible other side that is so fucking fun, that is dancing in your apartment with music on blast, getting ready with no one to tend to. And I can't tell you how many times I remember thinking, I need to really indulge in this chapter because I will never have less. I will never have necessarily more freedom than I do in this moment or less responsibility because I don't have a baby. I don't have a husband. I don't even really have a business right now. I'm working for another company and just cherishing that sweet, sweet alone time. And that's when the switch flipped from it's not like it was a clean, you know, going from this is really hard to this is really beautiful. I think the dance continued forever, but there were way more nights of this is fucking great. (laughs) I don't have to consider anyone and what a gift that is. And so now I look fondly on my girlfriends who are single and I'm like, cherish it, baby, because it's so fun. (laughs) I think the perspective shift for me is always like, adding for now. I think mm-hmm. we both have had such such um significant seasons of change in our life where married, engaged, living with somebody, sickness, like you you lose the freedom of your body. Um I was a caregiver, lost so much freedom in what I could do and how attached I was to my phone and the responsibilities of what that was like to be a caregiver to then not having that anymore and all of the freedom that came with that. And what I've realized is instead of looking at everything like, okay, when am I going to get the relationship or when are things going to be better? When am I going to go on that next day? It's like, wait, like if I have that thing I want, I'm also losing the freedom that I have. 
And right now I only have this freedom for now. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just single for now. That's it. Like it's just this moment that I have to deal with this, not deal with this. I get to enjoy it, but also some days have to deal with this. Like the date he canceled. (laughs) No. Go on a date today. This is live feed. He said he caught COVID, which I thought was hilarious. Um, which like, I mean, it is, I'm totally neutral about it, but I'm like, so today when I, I got or yesterday when I got that message, I'm like, I have to deal with this, but then I'm like, I have to deal with this for now. Like I have to, Mm -hmm. you know, deal with men and all of this for right now until I have a partner that is, you know, consistent and shows up and is amazing and all of those things. But then I also get to have last night, which was playing dress up and dancing and singing and having the best time. And I only get that for now because that's going to change and it's temporary. And I think you being so open at the time that you were single about how much you were enjoying yourself and how much you really were dating yourself and tending to yourself and making love to yourself. I've never seen anything like that before. Mm. Like really. And I know there's a lot of women online, I think now, like sharing more about like getting in touch with their feminine. But for some reason, I guess just because we're besties, like you just (laughs) never annoyed me. (laughs) (laughs) It was from a place of... Oh, a place of like trying to convince anybody of anything or that they should be doing anything. It was just really an intimate exposure of this is how I'm loving on myself. And this Mm -hmm. is how much fun you could be having with yourself. And this is how much of an intimate relationship you really can create with yourself. So can you just briefly tell us about that? And like, how did you spend those nights when you weren't in your loneliness, but you were tapping into your husband energy and Mm -hmm thinking about like your future family and just loving on yourself and looking at yourself and creating that relationship where you look at yourself and you're like, damn, I'm it. Like, I'm Mm. beautiful. I got this. It ranged from, well, first off, thank you. And I think that was where I gained actually most of my following was in that era because I never tried to position myself as the expert. I was like, hi, I'm just figuring this out on my own. And if you want to watch great. If not, that's okay too. And I think that created such intimacy with my audience. And I don't don't even like saying audience. I'm like with my people because that's what it was. It was like women reaching out to me going like, oh my God, I know that pain or I know that place of celebration. And it was just awesome to have that community alongside of me. I felt so uplifted for that entire chapter to do it alongside all of these other women. I felt so grateful. And I think from the celebratory piece, it really ranged from the most mild to the most wild. So what I mean by that was like on a mild night, celebrating myself looked like lighting a joint, cooking like the most delicious dinner I could possibly think of, turning on my galaxy light, which is like this super vibey, like little thing I bought on Amazon for like 25 bucks. And it turns the whole room into like sparkles and nightlight. And mind you, my apartment at the time, I think I must have a little bit of like exhibitionist in me because my apartment faced, you got to stay with me. My apartment faced inward of this courtyard of uh, the apartment complex. So like I would have the blinds open and you could fully see this experience for me. Like I wanted to be celebrated in my (laughs) dancing 
smoking a night skylight. I was like, this is the best. And I'd have my music playing through my TV. And like that could be anything from like Frank Sinatra to Odessa, just depending on what kind of mood I was in. And you mentioned this earlier, this concept of like making love to myself. That was such a time of sexual exploration a lot with myself. People always think like, oh, I can't do that when I'm single. Bullshit. I bought beautiful crystal wands and would create these like luscious, sometimes hour-long self-pleasure rituals. Mind you, they were not all like that. I'm not some tantrika that has to like create these elaborate sexual experiences every time I touch myself. Sometimes it's literally like a vibrator in 30 seconds and we're good. But I did also lean into like, what would it be like to really touch my body in the most beautiful way and lather myself with oils and create sensual experiences for me? And that was such a beautiful permission slip to slow down and enjoy pleasure. And so that was, you know, into the more wild piece. But then like even more wild than that was also traveling alone and doing that for the first time, doing things that felt edgy alone. So taking myself out to a three to five course dinner that was bougie and I spent a lot of money and would not take my phone out of my purse. Like, I'm not going to document this. I'm going to be so hyper present. I'm going to make eye contact with people in the restaurant. And when they ask me, like, are you waiting for anyone? It's a no. No, I do not want to sit at the bar. I want my own table. Thank you very much. And I want to enjoy this experience for me. Taking myself to concerts. I took myself to this beautiful candlelight concert one night, um, had a glass of wine and just indulged in this beautiful music and then got ice cream after all the way to like going to Boulder for an entire month and having this cute, sweet apartment where I didn't know anyone. And I just focused on whatever I wanted to do, follow my desires. And that was a skill that I really needed to strengthen was what is my desire? Because I felt desireless for so long. And now do I have the audacity to give myself that thing? And it really came down to flexing that over and over and starting from a really simple place of like, what coffee shop do I want to go to? What uh, meal do I want to cook for myself? All the way to where do I want to live? What career do I desire to have? Um, what community do I want to be a part of? And flexing in the smaller moments allowed me to really celebrate and lean in in those bigger moments too. So what's coming up for me right now is purpose. Mm. So we've talked a lot about this. So how is your definition of purpose and finding your purpose and following your purpose changed over the last few years? Purpose feels currently like a state of being. It's like, it feels like a feeling instead of an end destination to arrive to. And I've come to terms with the fact that as a woman with many passions, my purpose will change over and over and over. And that purpose doesn't have to be tied to my financial output into the world. That I've had purpose in telling my story. That gave me such purpose so many days when I was in a really tough time. Again, coming back to that concept of alchemizing obstacles into opportunities, sometimes my purpose was writing a poem and touching the depth of my pain so that another woman would know she's not alone. That gave me purpose. And other times, my dog, my sweet, sweet boy, who he's 
getting older and life is a little harder for him right now and taking care of him in like the most intentional, beautiful way, helping him up and down the stairs, making sure he feels loved on, that gives me purpose. And I happened to be so lucky to find another level of career that is giving me so much purpose right now, which is creating intimacy through storytelling via podcasting. And I thought it's really cool that when I looked for the through line, it was always intimacy. Everything I've done from the moment I exited my mother's vagina has been to create intimacy. And I think a lot of that is whatever my soul got imprinted on before it came down to this planet. But I also think it was nurture too, because my parents used to sit me down at the table and they said I would pop my pacifier out and they would ask me questions that were really philosophical and deep from the time I was a baby. And so to me, love and intimacy has always looked like deep conversations with the people I love. And my purpose has just continued to evolve and get clearer and more beautiful and more aligned. And I've been willing to just say yes to the next best step for better or worse and not be afraid of getting it quote unquote wrong because I don't believe in that. And I've tried a lot of things. I have been a school teacher, a CrossFit coach, a CrossFit gym owner, a meal delivery company owner. I've been a transformational coach. I've been an intimacy coach. I'm now working in podcasting and I'm sure I'm forgetting like eight other things in there. So like, hello, I've lived many lives. <laughs> I've not been the like, I'm going to go to school to be a doctor and stay a doctor. And so I hope in this you hear permission to just keep evolving over and over and over again. And as women, we're designed to do that every 28 days. We shed our being every 28 days. And that is such a beautiful biological rhythm to follow. It's like, wow, you could literally become someone different every day if you wanted to. That would probably get a little exhausting. But every month, letting go of a different part of yourself for whatever you're wanting to step into instead. So yeah, following the rhythm. You're really good at not staying in things longer than you need to just because of the time that you've invested. I think that is one of the main reasons why people don't shift is because they've invested so much time and that time is really built in identity and an attachment to whatever thing that they're doing. And yeah, you're just really good at saying, I'm going to look at the time in front of me and how I want to use that and how I want to step into that rather than holding on and white knuckling this time that I spent doesn't mean that I have to stay there. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And I'll be honest that I definitely stayed longer than I wanted to in places. But I do think it does come down to playing in the extremes where I've left things too early and that was really painful. And I've left things too late. And that was really painful. And so I've touched both ends of the spectrum from, ooh, I know now what it's like to dip out before I really asked myself the tough questions. I did that with a company where I didn't give them the opportunity to, to improve. I didn't give any feedback. And I dipped out too early. It was still the right decision, I have no doubt. And I could have done it better. And then another company, I think I stayed a little too long. And that was painful. And that manifested in me obsessing over like thinking like, I got to do this. I got to do this. 
you could argue there is no such thing as the wrong time, that it was always perfect, la la la. But I think I really did find that I've touched the extremes. And now I do feel the most mature version of myself of knowing the trusting the timing and trusting the unfolding and staying when things are uncomfortable and not using that as an opportunity to leave. And also being sure that I'm turning it around and asking myself the right kinds of questions like, what is my responsibility in this? Have I given them the opportunity to do right by me, to do better? Have I given the feedback that we all deserve? And a lot of that stemmed from me being afraid to speak my truth for so long. And now I'm that bitch. I will say the thing that no one wants to say because I can't let tension and unspoken conversations lead my life anymore. And so I say the thing when it needs to be said, and that creates so much deeper intimacy and usually fixes the problem a lot faster than pretending there isn't one in the first place. And it's allowed me to have more longevity in my relationships because I used to fear that and turned away from that a lot. And now I just feel a lot more mature and wise in that. So let's talk about you being that cocky bitch. So you <laughs> I think yesterday... I don't just get in the room, I create the room. And so this is, of course, like, we've heard it for years. If you can't find a seat at the table, build your own table. And it's this amazing concept. But the reality of going from someone who felt like she couldn't even use her voice in a room, and was so uncomfortable to be in the room, to someone who creates the room, and hold space and attracts these incredible people to come in the room. What is that process like? Like, it's not mm. easy to build rooms. It's no. scary. It is scary. I, I love this question. So I think I'm going to give a really unsexy answer that people are not going to like, but this shit takes time. It takes time to be that bitch that builds the room because if you step into it wildly before you're ready, people will sniff that out from a mile away because you're not embodied yet. And that's the word that really feels so true is I had to do reps for years, taking jobs that were probably beneath me, learning and getting clear on what my value was, having that affirmed over and over and over and over and over again before it finally clicked. So I think it was this combination of getting very fucking clear on who I am and what I bring by bumping up against what I'm not and bumping up against affirmation that I'm on the right path. And once I got enough of that externally and internally, I am going to say externally was a big part of this. Of like people being saying things to me like, holy shit, keep going. You're on fire. This is so good. And it would take a minute to land and then after enough time, you just believe it. Like I just started to believe I am that woman. And do I feel her every day, all part of each day? Absolutely not. I'm absolutely still insecure in moments and will sometimes tremble and shake on sales calls when I get in the room with somebody super important or that I deem to be super important. It happened to me the other day. I was like, oh, wow, I'm tremoring. That is really interesting. <laughs> But also, I know that that is what is necessary for this constant evolution. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to go out knowing that I gave it everything that I have, everything, because life and the next day is not promised. And I use my future daughter as a motivator 
so often. Like, what do I want her to know her mama as? The woman that said like on her deathbed, fuck, I should have gone for it. Or the woman that was a little Delulu and just went for it anyway and then created something magical. And I think I'm just at the point now where I'm like, I'm in my delusional era because I just can't not bet on myself. I've not bet on myself in the past. It doesn't end well. So I'm willing to be all in on myself over and over and over again, even if that means tripping up a bit. And I keep putting myself, we were just talking about this together. I keep intentionally putting myself in rooms with women that are so much smarter and wealthier and more established and sometimes even a lot younger. Austin is wild in that regard. We have attracted some incredibly powerful and young people. So it's almost created the sense of like, oh, I'm behind. I know that's not true, but it's incredible to witness people time and time again in their 20s and 30s with empires already. And I think what it's done is just reminded me too, again, back to the little kid on the roller coaster, if they can do it, so can I. And I've just taken that on as to be so true and as a belief that I've embodied. I see what you've done as the antithesis of fake it till you make it programming. I actually don't think you do that very much at all. I'm sure there's been moments where you're like, okay, I kind of got to fake this emotion or fake this confidence right now. We've all been there and had to like really draw that out in ourselves. But I never... I think that's why you're so well-respected and I'm emphasizing this not to like gas you up. You know this, like (laughs) the amount of people that love you blows my mind. It's, Mm. it's, it's not surprising, but it's hundreds and hundreds of people who you are like one of their favorite people on the planet. And I actually really think it's because you said, fuck the programming of fake it till you make it. I'm going to live it until I am it. I'm not going to fake anything. I'm not going to pretend I'm further along. I'm not going to pretend I'm making more money than I am. I'm not going to pretend I have the answers. I'm not going to pretend I have the perfect relationship. I'm not going to pretend I have the perfect job. I'm going to, you know, ask questions when I'm in the rooms that make me uncomfortable. I'm going to own the status of where I am at. And I think you and I have both said, especially with money, and we could talk about wealth frequency, that we could both do a better job. Uh, not taking advantage, but what's the word? Like, um, leaning in, leveraging, leveraging Mm -hmm. and leaning into really owning, like, this is the stage that I'm at with my finances. I see this stage that you're at. If I sit here and I'm quiet and just nod along and pretend like we're on the same financial level and just fake it till I make it, I'm not going to learn. If you're faking and pretending you're much further along than you are, how are you going to get the wisdom imparted on you by somebody who's walked ahead of you? If you're sitting here faking it, how are you going to get help? And Mm -hmm. I think like it's such an ego protector, especially around money. And I think even especially for women right now, because we want to be successful and we really like have a space where I think a lot of people are celebrating us and pushing us to get whatever we want. But that also requires us to kind of be a little bit more vulnerable and say like, hey, so like, 
how are you guys doing your taxes? Like, yeah. are you an S corp? Are you an LLC? Like, how are you invested? Especially as creators and as entrepreneurs, like we don't have a 401k. Like we have to make all this shit up alone and handle so much. Like we're running our books and our finances. We didn't go to school for this. So mm-hmm. talk to me about that level that you're stepping into and what that's been like to sit at a table with millionaires and lean into that. So the first thought that came up was it it comes back to intimacy. I'm not afraid. And in fact, I demand intimacy. And you can't be intimate if you don't let people see inside of you. And so I'm willing time and time again to let people see inside of me. And what I do when that happens, when I'm at the table with a bunch of millionaires and I'm like, my savings account is low. Like I've had to empty that sucker multiple times. <laughs> and and they're talking about buying their second or third homes. And what it does is it reduces, if not eliminates shame. When I say the thing that is inside of me that I'm afraid to let others see is it immediately just alchemizes that energy. And if I don't have shame anymore around my finances, then what that means is I'm making moves and I'm able to ask the weird, hard, tough, maybe silly questions because I'm not afraid to look dumb because I don't feel dumb. I'm sharing this because it's true. And at one point they were those women too. And I think it's really beautiful to have both ends of the spectrum where you have people that are further along and then you also have people that are a little bit behind so that you have this beautiful synergy of, yes, I'm putting myself in the room with a bunch of really wealthy women and literally imagining all of the money coming out of their bodies, circling in this cool little vortex and then entering my system because I did that at brunch. <laughs> I was like, wow, I'm in the currency. So that's that. But that's part of it all the way to like, the women that I work and coach with are a couple steps behind. And so there's this beautiful symbiotic relationship of giving and receiving, giving and receiving, so that I always feel like I've got something to aspire to and someone to hold their hand through the next evolution. Because usually the women I work with, I'm just a couple steps ahead and I don't sugarcoat or hide where I've been. And I think, like I talked about earlier, that's where I built my following. Although it may be small, it still feels mighty that. I'm just willing to say the thing that no one wants to say and to alchemize the room with truth. I love this visual of you surrounding yourself with people who are a little ahead and also a few steps behind because I think the narrative and personal development is like, you're the collective of the five people around you. So like everybody has to be crushing it. I always think that's really missing the point of the fact that a large part of what I believe my purpose is, is also to help shepherd people in certain areas of life, whether it be through their business or through their vulnerability or whatever that is. And my giving to those people is also making me the person that's going to get to my next level. Like our contribution to the people around us and the way that we can help is equally as important to calling in those people who are like crushing it in all areas of life. And yeah, I really like this idea of you kind of being in the middle and continuing to surround yourself with both the ways that you can help and also the way that you can be helped for the people who are like, well, how do I get into the rooms with women who are making a ton of money? 
what was that process like for you? Was that like a strategic process? You feel like that's an energetic, like, did you like actively write down, like I'm manifesting these types of women? How did they come into your life? Like what's the through line? Oh, that's a good question. It definitely was not strategic. I would be lying if I said it was because I'm sitting here going like, how did I do that? And I really think the truth is my success has come from putting my head down and doing the same thing that worked over and over and over and over until one day my frequency raised and I started attracting different people in my life. And I could always tell that that was happening whenever I would launch a program. And the woman who said yes six months ago was now wildly different. And I started to notice that that was usually when I grew and raised my own elevation and vibration and energy. The other women around me started to do the same. And that came from a deep level of self-respect and demanding of myself a certain energy of of self-worth and value and my time being worth something. And bit by bit, that meant that the women I attracted were different. And that's just the truth was that when I changed internally, my external world began to shift. So the when I got invited to a brunch with a bunch of women that are multimillionaires a couple days ago, it's because that shift happened over the course of four years of me working on my self-esteem, working on my self-worth, working on my my brand and my voice and strengthening my spine over and over so that when I'm in a room with women like that, I don't collapse. I go, I'm supposed to be here. I'm a part of this group just because our net worth isn't the same doesn't mean I have any less of a role here. And I think you even helped me to remind that when I had a moment of like, Ooh, after the brunch, you were like, Bryn, it's, it has nothing to do with the amount of money. It's about what your insides look and feel like. And yes, they've got some really successful businesses. So that just means I'm on the right path and I'm going to get there too. And yeah, I think it's the truth is, is it was head down and get to work for four years. And then I popped my head up and went, huh, things feel different. Mm -hmm. Oh, so if this is actually medicine for me too, because I just moved to New York, as you guys know, I've talked about this probably every episode. <laughs> um, and I have been like writing and like my journal, I want to call in more female founders, people who really have their money right, big visions. And I actually think if you're asking the question of how do I get in the rooms of people who are like very wealthy and very successful, I would actually go a layer deeper and say like, like what qualities am I attaching to these women who are really wealthy? Because how do I get in? It's like, I wouldn't say like, how do I get into a room with somebody who is a bartender? I walk downstairs. There's <laughs> hundreds of thousands on this, like in this neighborhood in New York city. Like that's mm -hmm. not a hard thing. Like, Oh, how can I like find a friend who's, you know, some type of creative? It's not hard here. You walk outside, people are writing poems and making music and doing street art. And so it's this idea that like to get into these rooms, it's scarce. Like it would be really hard and I don't belong there. And so I think it's really important to unpack like, huh, like what are these millionaire wealthy women that we want to be around? They're just women. Mm -hmm. They're moms and they're friends and they're girlfriends and they go to, you know, Pilates and they do their, they're just women and they happen to have 
secured an area of their life that is really important and that like I aspire to be around just as some people have families and kids and you know partners like everybody has these strengths in different areas and I think we put so much into people who have money and like Mm -hmm. make them this unicorn figure because we don't talk about it like we don't talk about it very openly and very freely and very comfortably as much as I really think we could and yeah I think it's an interesting thought process of like huh who are these women they're just normal women totally (laughs) you probably know them Absolutely. And I think of my relationship with one of those women and I know I know what I bring to our relationship. I am constantly being a sounding board and a truth teller for her when it comes to love and intimacy, because I've gone to the depths of hell and back in that regard. And so she values the hell out of that. And so it's just it comes back to knowing your value over and over and over again. If you know your value it's going to just continue to accelerate the types of people that you get into the rooms with. And if you're listening to this, ask your friends what your value is, because I think Mm -hmm. we forget sometimes, like I know I do. We have such expressive girlfriends. Like you and I, the, the level of detail that we go into (laughs) with our love letters. (laughs) And it is so life-changing to Mm. have such a community of women who mirror back to you your strengths all the time. Like, this is what I see in you. You're so good at this. You're so patient. You're so incredible. You specifically are so incredible at seeing like, huh, all the three past women founders that you worked with and helped blow their companies up, they were steps ahead of you in their businesses or in their finances. But you said, huh, I got something to add here. Yeah, they have something to give me, but I know I have something to add. And I think like you said, that's a process of being with the depths of your soul, recognizing your accomplishments, you know, taking huge leaps in your life. But also all of these other women saying to you, you are that girl, like you are that woman. And so if you don't have that relationship with your friends, Start by asking, but also I would even say start by becoming more expressive with your girlfriends of like, and you will completely change the culture of your friendships by just starting to share more specifically. This is what I see in you. I'm really celebrating you for this. Oh my goodness. Like taking that time and watch how other people will start to do that with you. And when they do sit back and own it, because it's going to take some time to really start to believe them. Oh, it's so good. Yes, 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 yes. It comes back to that symbiotic relationship of give, 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 receive, give, 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 receive. And it does, it starts to feel like this beautiful energy working through you. And I absolutely love what you shared. One of my girlfriends for my birthday um, sent me, I called it a mini podcast. She sent me, it was like an eight minute voice note of all the things she loved about me. And I sat on my bathroom floor and cried and just took it all in. And I thought, holy shit, I must be doing something right to be getting reflections like that. But I also think what you just offered is so valuable that if you want that, go first. Be a trailblazer. <laughs> so are you in a flare right now? Are we both flaring? Yes. Wait, did I tell you? Or you just said it on your Instagram yesterday. Oh, my. Oh, I forgot that I said that. Yeah, no, we uh, we flaring. <laughs> okay, so I'm flaring, too. Oh, so sorry, boo. <laughs> no, it's okay. 
so okay what Fred and i are referring to is when we so we're gonna we're gonna reference um gay here because gay has really helped us put gay hendrix has really helped us put the pieces in place that our flares so our flares our our issues whether it be like inflammation or digestive issues or for me it manifests as this like random sharp stabbing pain in my upper back that just comes up when I'm flaring and so for all my girlies out there who know what we're talking about (laughs) we see you we flare with you we see you (laughs) but I really want to talk about that because we both last year really at this time last year decided to adopt this belief that isn't going to be for everyone and isn't, I think, the case for everyone who was born, especially people who are born with chronic conditions. So I really just want to put it out there that like, I don't think that you manifest sickness. I don't think that, you know, God forbid, if you have a child that's sick, that they brought that on or you brought that on with that is not the belief system that we adhere to. No. For us personally, we both have very particular symptoms that come up when we are taking big leaps. So a lot of my understanding and how I've synthesized this in my head is from this book, The Big Leap, that Bryn mm-hmm. recommended and I recommend it to everybody. And so essentially what I just want you to share a little bit about is like what happens to your body when you get to essentially what's called like a glass ceiling or you've reached your own outer limit in professionally, but also what I'd love for you to speak even more to is love because you have manifested a really, really, really big love and Mm. one that has proved to really test (laughs) the bounds (laughs) of how much love you can actually handle Mm -hmm. and how much security you can actually handle in your system Mm. without shutting down. So tell me a little bit about that, my Clary, my Clary girl. (laughs) My Clary fairy. (laughs) (laughs) oh god I also just want to give us props for the fact that like we can have that and build the kind of intimacy with our own bodies where there's a levity to it like I was literally laying in bed from two to five with my symptoms which for me usually manifest in some sort of heat my body gets it feels flu-like so I'll get really hot um congested and I have confirmed like this is so not a cold. Like it happens so hilariously on time that to the point where like I can almost predict when it's coming. And I'd like to think that at some point they've definitely gotten fewer and further between. So I do notice that for myself. I used to flare like at one point every six weeks. It was wild. And now I'm like every six to eight months. And that feels like huge growth and huge progress. But this the first time I really started to see the comparison, well, I saw it many times, but it really became clear after I read The Big Leap. Shout out to Daddy Hendrix. And I got invited by my now partner. We had a, an amazing first date, like the kind that's for the books where it's just like giggly and sweet and passionate. And we stay up till the wee hours of the morning hanging out and making out. And it was just like so juicy and perfect. And I knew from the moment I saw that man, he was going to play some sort of significant role. Did I know he's going to be like my future baby daddy and put a ring on it? Probably not. But I just felt the like, ooh, hi, I feel you. And so we have this amazing first date 
And then he jets off to Europe for a month. He had already had this trip planned. He works in the travel industry. And shout out Eli Travel Guy, my my man. And oh my god he would die to hear this he loves when i'm a soft little bitch like this so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we go on this first date and then he leaves and my rigid cold ass was like that's fine I'll talk to you in a month because my pattern I'm very avoidant in love that is definitely my pattern is like I'll shut you out and you'll be dead to me and I learned that from many lifetimes but I'm different now but that was my pattern when we first met and this man just kept showing up he kept texting me and wanting to facetime and i literally remember being like who are you why are you still here like go have fun in europe and we'll chat when you get back but he didn't want that and he literally called me out in the get from the beginning and said stop it he said i want to talk to you and if i want to talk to you i'm going to make an effort and reach out to you so you can stop that And i was like uh, okay so fast forward we're having this great banter. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm, I'm giving in. I'm surrendering to what wants to happen here. And then he invites me to Europe for the first time. I'd never been. And he said, hypothetically speaking, if I were to send you on a plane next week to an unknown destination, would you be yes? He's like, I'm in Europe, but I'm not going to tell you where. And I, I mean, I remember exactly where I was. I was in my car on the way to Network Spinal and I just instantly felt this surge of joy and uh, tears. And I didn't even ask my boss at the time. I just was like, I'm a hypothetical yes. Like, I will figure this out. Again, I don't take no for an answer and I always get what I want. So I get to network and I just shriek at the top of my lungs. I share this with everyone who will listen that I am going to Europe next week to meet this man. And then the story takes to turn. I start to flare. And I start to flare hard to the point where like my body. So I said flu like earlier. And when I say flu like, I really mean it. Like it feels like I'm wearing ankle weights. I can barely walk. Like I get so heavy, headache, sore throat, feverish, chills. My brain fog goes through the roof. It's like this physical attack of my joy starts to occur. And my girlfriends know enough about me at this time to support me and to be able to see what's happening. And one of my girlfriends saw it so clearly. She came over to help me pack. And I was at the point where I actually didn't know if I was going to get on a plane. I felt so sick. And she caught on to something. So she would ask me about Eli and I would start talking about him and my spirit would lift. And all of a sudden I would feel fine and just totally energized. And then when I'd stopped talking about him and I went to go pack and like talk about what my body felt like, I would collapse, my shoulders would round and I would start to feel really heavy and sick. And she goes, do you notice what's happening? I was like, what? She goes, when you go to the future, your entire outlook and physicality changes. But when you're in the now going within to how painful it is, everything gets heavy and hard. And so one of the the pieces that Dr. Jeannie and my girlfriend helped me with was to go to the future and the timeline that I know is so possible and to feel energy richness from what I see is available and literally feel the difference in how that shifts my physical 
stature and my physicality and my symptoms. And it's not a perfect science. It's not like I go from like that realization to symptom free, but I'll put my hands up and I'll actually like reach into space because what happens? Yes. <laughs> oh, so good to just put it, your hands up. You oh, gave this to me and I use it all the time. It's profound. It sounds simple. I'll do this to clients, especially if I know them intimately. I'll be like, uh uh-uh, uh, stop that shit. Because they'll go into the story and spiral and I'll see it. Their shoulders are round. They'll start to look like Quasimodo. They'll get really in their head. The thoughts start to spiral. Their breathing gets shallow. And I support their their physicality by opening their chest up, reaching your hands out and tapping into a new fucking reality and a new potential because we all have that capacity. Not everyone is hardwired for that type of energy to work. Some people are meant to go within. I believe that. But I think the vast majority are not and are actually it's so it's so contrasting to what we're taught in the coaching industry. Go within, go within, feel, feel, feel. Sometimes that is valuable and sometimes it will majorly hinder you. And so now my partner will literally, when I'm like having a moment and I'm spiraling, he'll come behind me and he'll shoot my hands up. Sometimes he'll make me go do it in front of a mirror and he'll like wave my arms like one of those things at the (laughs) the car lots. (laughs) And it snaps me out of my mood 70% of the time. And that's a hell of a lot better than no percent of the time. So I'm no stranger to my body. I don't want to say attacking because I don't think it's doing that. I think it's an old pattern of keeping me safe and keeping my system smaller because it needed to be smaller at a certain point in time. There was a point in time where I did not have the capacity to hold more. When I was deathly ill with COVID for three months, I didn't have the capacity to run more energy through my body. This would not have worked during that time frame. When I had black mold, when I was going through my divorce, like there were these certain moments where I literally couldn't hold more. I was in survival. Survival is a thing for a reason, but I'm not there anymore. And I've got to remind myself that sometimes daily. And when my body goes to this place now, now it's me having an intimate conversation with a past best friend of like, hey, sister, I see you. We're not stuck there anymore. It's okay to feel stuck there temporarily, but we don't have to live here anymore. You have bigger bandwidth now. You are meant for more. There's so much more. So then I breathe. I put my hands up. I feel into the potential. I ask for support. And then the flare shifts in time. And I have patience with it as it starts to work its way out of my body. You just struck something in me so deep. Like you're not there anymore. You're not stuck anymore. I think it's so easy to unconsciously be operating in a mindset where you were stuck because you, you, that was just the reality. Like you were sick or you were in a relationship that you weren't ready to leave. Whatever that was, like there's nothing worse to me than there's nothing harder to me than being in a situation that you know you want to get out of, but you can't yet because of some, you know, outside circumstance or because you're just not ready or because you don't have the financial runway yet or you don't have the support or you don't have the belief in yourself yet. But so much of your soul knows like I need to get out of this. And I think that feeling right there, if you can think of a time in your life that could could still be influencing so much of the 
your daily life of like Mm -hmm. just operating in a mentality where you're staying small because you had to be to to meet your own needs and to survive and just that conversation of like you're not there anymore it really said the word earlier you said now i'm here now and that creates so much space for okay but in three minutes from now, maybe that's not the case or yeah. 10 minutes or tomorrow. So I think you said it so beautifully. It's like, I'm here now, but God, there's room for potential. Yeah. It's all temporary. Really. It's just for now. Okay. Well, there is so many things that I want to talk about, but I know you're going to be back on. So I want to leave it at what part of your personality are you still feeling like it's too much? that you want to embrace more of right now? Hmm. Oh, gosh. So I think I'm close to claiming this one. But I still think, because my doctor called me out on it, Dr. Jeannie, who I referenced a billion times on this episode. Um, Jeannie, we love you. Oh, my God. That that woman. She's the best. Uh, So she... When I had my session with her the other day and I was meeting that past part of myself and grabbing her little face and going, I'm so sorry you were stuck here for so long. I'm so sorry you felt like you had your back up against the wall. I'm so sorry you felt like you had to work for people that made you feel less than or stay with partners that made you feel less than. And she said something to me along the lines of, you know, what is your capacity to claim extraordinary And I think I could, I felt this when I was on vacation with Eli and we claim extraordinary when we are together. That man puts me in places and situations and luxury like I have never experienced before. Like we are first class bitches that stay in like the nicest hotels because of his travel. We get put up in, like I stayed in a presidential suite in New York City like that is the type of I love room. It on Instagram, really, it's so it, good. It's so <laughs> nuts. And there's a part of me that, when it happens, goes, "Of course." And there's a part of me that, what happens, goes, "I'm watching this from the outside because it's so extraordinary. I don't know if I could actually f- take all of this in." And there's an amazing Marianne Williamson quote that encompasses this, and I've posted about it and read about it on my stories. But it's essentially something like. When you ask yourself, you know, who am I to be this person? She asks you back, who are you not to be? And so I think there's something for me to to step into more around claiming the extraordinary that is my life, my relationships, my luxury, my voice, because my life is fucking fantastic right now. And there was a time where it was really challenging, but I think I feel good twinge of guilt sometimes when I'm posting the penthouse or posting the first class flight or posting the insane opportunity that just happened in my career or the, I just got invited to this incredible VIP private book signing for this author. And I'm going to be in the room with some dope ass women. And like, there's still a part of me that's like the audacity. And then I just get to go but the audacity to not be her, that's so much more painful and so much more damaging to the woman that wants to feel like she has permission to do the same. So I'm almost there, but not quite. I just, I think that 
all of the women like you who are showing up and decide to say, I know that this can trigger someone, but I trust that that trigger is going to lead them if they do choose to some introspection, to something surfacing that they need to see in order to create their own version of a life that they fucking love. Mm -hmm. And I think with like the highlight reels of Instagram, I see this a lot with clients, like they feel that same level of like guilt, like, well, I feel bad talking about how good my health is now, or I feel bad talking about how great my relationship is, or I feel bad I was going to post the other day and then I didn't because I felt bad. I was like, thinking, God, I'm so nice to myself. I took myself out for ice cream and I went on this walk and I took so many breaks and I'm like, God, like I really have become over time, like the nicest girl to myself, not all the time, but a lot of times I'm like, damn, you're so sweet to yourself. Like you treat yourself so well. And I'm sure I will share that eventually in that process. But if we don't share those things, then we don't give people the opportunity to be triggered. Like, I think that that's okay. I think we live in this society right now in this bubble of like, don't trigger people. It's not nice. Don't only post the highlight reels. But I actually kind of say fuck that because if you're really triggered by my genuine expression of me wanting to spread my joy, that is an opportunity for you to look at your stuff and Mm -hmm. to decide to make some different decisions. And I know it's not always easy. And listen, I give everybody permission to unfollow me at times. Like I've unfollowed so many people who their joy and their abundance and their success was way too confronting for me. And I did not have the capacity to look at my triggers at that moment. I just needed space. But when you're ready to be expanded, go and even if it's uncomfortable ask yourself why and Mm -hmm. you know I just think you do a really good job and I can't wait for you to just keep sharing and like see the family and the babies and all the things I just can't wait I love you so much I love you so much you are meant for this I hope that you do this for another 10 lifetimes this is so special and I Mm -hmm. you've gotten to point to me but I would not feel good not being able to do that for you. And the way that you flow in these conversations and, you know, you've given me props for the things that I've done in my life, but look at what you've created, right? Like you're living in your dream apartment and then that your dad divinely guided you to. You're one of the most tapped in intuitive people that I know. And you're so damn kind, Samantha. Like when you said you're so kind to yourself, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so the epitome of who you are. You are just filled with love. And I feel that in everything that you do. And the women in your life are so lucky who get to listen to this podcast because you've got such a beautiful heart and the way that you pour into giving to others is unparalleled. And so thank you for this platform and for saying yes when I kept poking at you to do the damn thing because thank God you did talk about that my podcast (laughs) is going to be like Samantha I told you my limit was an hour I (laughs) literally she's too much is Bryn helped me open the portal to it oh my god I hate using that phrase but honestly it hits like I wanted to launch this podcast for six years I was going I don't even think I knew that like six, no, six years. I wanted to launch a podcast since 2018. Wow. <laughs> like, <truly. laughs> once I put the words Zen and boss together on my like big ass piece of paper in 2018, mm. 2019, I was like, I need a podcast. 
I wanted one and I couldn't figure it out. And you are so good. And this could be like the jumping off spot of the next pod, but you are so good at saying like, it doesn't need to be an either or like you are the queen of being like, we can have everything. Like it doesn't have to be a podcast just about business or it doesn't have to be a podcast just about this. And you have like taken all of these things that you've done in your life, intimacy and marketing and strategy and sales and storytelling and writing and creativity and branding. And you're like, okay, like now you have created this incredible job at a company at Soulfire you love and you handmade that because you decided not to say, I have to be this coach or I have to just be a branding expert and decided like I there is a world that I can have and embody all of my talents and live in them and play in them most days. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like that's why I come to you is to be freed from thinking that I need to choose one way of being over the other and it is so liberating to be your friend because you just remind me so quickly it doesn't have to be that serious it doesn't have to be that harsh sometimes it does like my relationship (laughs) you were like on the couch crying like please do not go back to this man i can't see this anymore Mm -hmm. line in the sand but for the most part it's like let's bring it all together so tell us a little bit about the pod so that people can go listen because truly like you are such a great storyteller. And I know this is like your true, I would say like evolution of all of the things combined into one is storytelling. Oh my God, you're so good at it. You bring people in and it's just such an easy, comfortable podcast to listen to and all the wisdom. And I just, I'm obsessed and everybody's obsessed. So tell us a little bit about it so that people can go listen. Thanks, mama. It is called Trailblazer. And it is all about, well, I love that you just spoke to the range of bringing all of those things together because I think that's who we are as humans. Like, let's stop fucking putting ourselves in boxes. And so Trailblazer is a place for the woman or man, I'm sure you have both, that wants to free themselves from the status quo, from the path that was given to you, from the a map that was like, go this way for this type of success. And who wants to burn that down and create something that has never been forged before, whether that's in your love life, your business, your community. It's a space for people who say no thank you to average and mundane and say yes to extraordinary and different and bizarre. And I have those conversations that are real and tangible of how I did it. And then I also interview people like yourself that have just said, no thanks. This is not the path for me. I'm going to figure something totally different. And it's not even to say that it has to be innovative like the world has never seen. It was just innovative to you. And I think that's a really important differentiator is that it just means that you're forging a new path for your lineage, for your family. And that takes massive amounts of bravery and energy and credit. And so it's a space for those conversations. And I've honestly never loved anything more than I've ever done than this podcast. So please come listen. Oh my God, I feel the same way. Yes. <laughs> I love you. So Brendan and I are going to go now hang out and have our rich bitch meetings because yeah. we meet every single week for a year, which is crazy. 
and we talk about our finances and how we're improving and what we have splurged on um, and <laughs> what areas we're getting better at. So sending us everybody we'll see you next week follow Bryn at Bryn Daler and everything is in the show notes for you to connect with her and tune into Trailblazers and we'll see you next week on She's Too Much bye everybody bye